2: Well, you recognize that tune, and you know it's time for Relics Radio. This is a family-friendly show, so the entire family can join us as we talk metal detecting and relic hunting. You can call into the show at 270-495-0315 or join in the chat and post any comments or questions you might have, and we'll get to as many of them as we can. You're listening to Relics Radio of Southern Kentucky and Middle Tennessee. live again from the foothills of the Cumberland Mountains in Southern Kentucky and Middle Tennessee. And we've got a great show lined up tonight for all of you diggers out there, especially the Civil War diggers. Uh, got a very special guest, Sam Waters with uh, CWPPO and that stands for Civil War Preservation Project of Ohio. And so I know that we're going to have a great show. I am digging with Seven, your host and co-host. And um, is-
3: Tennessee Jeff, uh, co-host. Yeah, so button Jeff. I see we have Ohio Relic Hunter in here, uh, Desk Digger, Matt, there's Matt Purdue. Hello, Matt, Paul Forsay, Dennis. Uh, I already said Ohio Rel- Relic Hunter, so uh, there's Dave Miller. We got Dave in the
2: house. We yeah. got so. We got a full house, yeah. sure do. And oh I, yeah,
3: yeah, they keep coming
2: in. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys know it or not, and uh, Sam is in in with us. So uh, you're there, aren't you, Sam?
0: Yep, I'm here.
2: Oh, good. I tell you what, I've been so anxious about this show right here because Civil <laughs> War uh, relic hunting is a passion of uh, Tennessee Jeff and myself, and uh, John Hunt Morgan is uh, he's really an idol to me and uh you know i i love the history that is associated with that and uh you know uh we've branched out jeff on the show i was looking at our uh looking at our stats and everything our geo stats we're not only we got listeners in the U.S., uh, in Canada, in Australia, in the uh, United Kingdom, in Malta, in, ne- in the Netherlands, and in Germany. And I can only imagine some character <laughs> sitting over in the Netherlands listening to two rednecks with a metal detector and how much that they would laugh. But we've got another. That's
3: right. I- Go ahead. I couldn't pronounce I couldn't pronounce half of them. I was like, "Where's that at?" And I had to get on the uh, globe just to look, and I couldn't find it on the globe, so I had to go just Google it, and then I, that helped out. So, but yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of listeners from all over the world. It sounds like so.
2: Yeah, and those hey. people, you know, they because of the uh, difference in time and everything, they couldn't they wouldn't be live with us, but they're listening uh, undoubtedly, and I and you notice on the stats that they're listening on the. Uh, on the archive videos, our uh, podcast and everything. But welcome to... Yeah, we got Jeff Ford in the house. Oh, yeah. Uh, Welcome to the show, Sam, uh, to Relics Radio. We appreciate you being on here tonight. And, uh, you know, uh, the obvious question is, is uh, how did CWPPO get started? What, What was your thoughts in all of that?
0: Well, uh, as many Ohioans, and, and this is kind of strange, but a lot of us didn't even know that Civil War happened in Ohio. Uh, I actually seen um, in the newspaper about a sesquicentennial festival of uh, Morgan Traders, and um, there was a marker in Carroll County, and I had to go see it. I couldn't make it to the event, but I had to go see it, and behind that marker was about an acre of land. And I'm thinking, I wonder if there's anything left in this ground. You know, you're thinking maybe the battle is there. You kind of picture it in your head. So I emailed the Carroll County Historical Society, and I'm like, well, this is a long shot. They're never going to let me in. But the president of it absolutely, you know, gave me gave me the, the opportunity to go in and do that. So every weekend for about two months, I'm out here checking this acre field uh, by myself. And on the very last day, in the very corner of this field, I found uh, a ring. And the ring looked to be lead. I thought it was a tractor part. I'm like, hey, this looks kind of funny. You know, there's some red in it. It kind of looks like rubies. Wasn't sure. Uh, went and had it checked. You know, had it checked out, and uh, it was authenticated to be a civil war era bullet that was trench art basically that was made into a ring and embedded with rubies. It even had the scrape marks in it, you know, from how they gouged it out to fit the finger. And I went over to the landowner, which was across the street and, and I actually told him what I found. And he said, what are you doing over there? The battle happened in my backyard. You need to be over here. <laughs> and, uh, oh so God. I started to talk to him a little bit. He had 500 acres. I'm like, how am I going to do this myself? Oh. And I started to reach out, started to reach out on Facebook and had a lot of people interested to come in and and help do this. And they knew everything they found was going to be donated. Um, You know, it was for, you know, history's sake to try to find out where the bullets were, what the movements were, what was the flow, you know, where, where was everybody. Because most of the stories up here are just speculation. You know they have grandma said this, so that gets put into a story. No, my grandma mm-hmm. said this, so this gets into a story. And then you have a lot of different stuff. So we kind of go. We, what we did is we went in, and where we located the stuff, we had a flow map. We, uh, you know, we we knew which which way they went through. We had it all gritted off. You know, A A through B and one through four. And I dropped, you know, strategically. I dropped ten to fifteen you know, groups of people all over the place. And mainly the section of C3 was where the battle basically happened. And I put more people in there because that's where they thought it was. And they actually were able to, we were able to tell that the union were up on, it's like a bowl. It was like a bowl in there. When you walk down into this property, it's like you went back in time. It's so quiet down there. It's just a big bowl in woods. It's all open. But, uh, Dropped Union bullets were found around the rim of this bowl. Shot Union bullets were found in the middle. And then we were finding shot Confederate bullets, um, you know, up up around the rim and then dropped infields and such in the middle. So we, that kind of told us that they were flanked there. They, you know, they, the Confederates went through the middle of the bowl. The Union came up around. And we, the, the coolest thing was the hill. That met behind uh, the landowner's property, which matched the story, the one of her her grandfather that lived there, was that they they were captured there. But the Union shot bullets followed their trail up up the hill. I mean, it was just amazing. We found some bullets and stuff there, a couple scabbard tips in the middle. Um, but we were able to just lay everything out, map it, and say exactly what happened there. I mean, that single ring that I found was down, uh, across the street at a watering hole. And in the story, that's where Morgan had his, had his horses hit. And there was a 16 year old slave boy that was down there with him. His name was Sam, <laughs> but, uh, in that vicinity was where that ring was found. So it's just kind of cool that, you know, that it was Confederate and it was dropped there. Um, it it just it's just an amazing thing where you read the stories you have all these thoughts of what happened but it's that relic that tells the story and what helped them do is they were you know since we were able to prove that they were actually there they have the relics it helped the county you know get funding for markers uh grounds cleanups anything that they needed because they have the proof now that they were there it's almost like I don't know. It's just really cool to be able to go in and do that and be able to leave and leave a good, you know, a, a good taste in their mouth, I guess to say. So that you go to the next site, you had people to call and be like, yeah, you know, they did this for us and they could do this for you. And, you know, they turned everything over. They were very professional. They filled in all their holes. Uh, it The first day, there was a lot of uh, questions on, okay, how do I do this? I, I went from just me to about 160 people showing up. <laughs> there was a lot of planning, a Man. lot of strategic stuff. I had a land coordinator. Um, I was out there almost every weekend meeting with the landowners. It was about an hour and a half away. So I spent a lot of time there. Um, it, was, it was kind of like a self-funding thing. I don't, I don't try to get funding from, you know, historical societies because then you get pulled off. It puts them in a bind. Um, you know, sometimes they have the funding, sometimes they don't. So there was a lot of like Mm -hmm. the donation type thing to help pay for lodging and such in the first dig. So the second dig, uh, it was a little bit different. It was like, okay, stay where you want. (laughs) You're buying your own food, you know, just just get here and and help out. (laughs) And we had it. Yeah, it was, it was a lot less stress on me, I think. Um, but the second dig, you know, 2016, it, uh, it occurred in Morgan County. Um, it was a, it was a beautiful site, beautiful landowners, but, uh, our, our main missions on that site from, well, actually we, I talked with David Mowry. He's the author of, uh, Morgan's Great Grade. He actually says, okay, here's a map. Here's where I think this is. And this is what I, I'd like you to figure out. So after the first dig, he's given me all this information that helps me when I go to a site and I, I don't know, you know, what really happened there. And I, it saves the research time. Um, but, uh the main mission that we had was to locate buried Confederate soldier, Tommy McGee. He was actually shot across the river, across the river at Island run. He was uh, traveling with Duke's men who was uh, Morgan's side. You know, he was there with Morgan. It's actually his brother-in-law. He was shot at Island or uh, Island across the river. <laughs> he came across the river, shot on a horse and he actually, uh, died on the McElhaney farm. And the story goes that the uh, the Confederates hastily buried him, just, you know, covered him with rocks and, and carved on, you know, just a stone, his name and his regiment and everything, and then they left because they were being pursued. And then that's where the story gets a little funny where, okay, well, the landowner reburied him, and then they, they had to move him because uh, the river was flooding, or they moved him because they put the road in, Or there was just a bunch of different stories, you know, that they moved him because they didn't want grave robbers to come in. But uh, what we were able to do was locate him uh, via GPR. Um, We had Frank Lupergolo from from, uh, New Jersey, the the DA guy. He was just wonderful with this thing. He found Tommy McGee before my presentation started on that Friday. Um, It was uh, about 10 till 3. My presentation was at 3, and he comes in he, he holds up his phone and he says, we found him. <laughs> and you know, for a second, everybody disappeared. All I seen was that phone. And I just start crying. I had, I had to leave the room and my presentation was getting ready to start. And I'm like, you're just going to have to wait. I, I had to, I had to gather my thoughts. So we we found this soldier that has been lost since he was basically buried. So the story that was correct was that the pipeliners were coming through And when they came down through, it's a little morbid, they they kicked up his body, and they actually reburied him. And the way that he could tell was the burial uh, in the GPR scan matched what they would have done in the 1920s and the 1930s. So that's when the pipeline went through. So that's the story. And all the other ones are just gone. Um, We were able to find out where he was.
2: And so, for the, for I'm those of reading. you,
0: do you have any questions? Well, for <laughs> for those
2: people that don't know, uh, that's ground penetrating radar is what was used. Yeah. And uh, those things are, you know, they're used to uh, you just scan that over the ground, and and you're actually getting a a wide berth of returns, and uh, it charts that out, and and they are very very reliable. What an amazing story. And, you know, you're right. Whenever you're looking for a site, you know, you were talking about the Carroll County site. You Mm -hmm. found the ring, and then uh, the the, uh, landowner said, well, the battle happened in my backyard, you know. You hear all of these stories about uh, this happened here, that happened there, and there'll be a sign put up. And that's kind of the situation uh, we, uh, I do, I have the privilege Mm -hmm. of, of hunting Uh, John Hunt Morgan's first battle, the first raid into Kentucky, which was July. Well, he actually left Knoxville on July the 4th and, uh, came into, uh, Tompkinsville, Kentucky on July the 9th. And his first battle was against the, uh, Pennsylvania Cavalry. Now he just made a swath up through Kentucky and came back down. And then he did the same thing in the Christmas raid of 1862, but when he came into Ohio was in eighteen sixty three. It was in uh, in July of eighteen sixty three, and a lot of people mm-hmm. may not know that that was a thousand mile trip on you know on horseback and on foot. That is a long way to travel back in eighteen
0: sixty three. Yeah,
2: and it wasn't really. And they, they, it wasn't authorized by Bragg. Bragg told him not to go across the Ohio River but what Morgan was trying to do Morgan was trying to to uh sabotage all the railroads and just create mayhem in Kentucky and break up the supply line for Bragg which was down at Nashville down at uh, uh in Jeff's backyard and if they could if they could do that then uh you know Bragg could have come up come across the Ohio River and just kind of split the Union forces and concentrated everything, took the war to the north, really. And it would have been mm-hmm. completely different. But uh, Bragg would was always worried to go ahead and move. And really, uh, Morgan got frustrated with it. And then in July of 1863, he went across the Ohio River. And uh, then the history go- gets in your backyard there, Sam.
0: Right,
3: right. Yeah, that's and that's pretty have, neat. Uh, you, you you find that ring, and also you've got a landowner comes up. No, it happened in the, my backyard, and then you get permission to hunt that backyard. See, if that happened to me, he'd be like, "It happened in my backyard," but no, I don't allow any metal detecting. So that's the way it would happen to me. So, but yeah. I mean, that's that's great that I mean you're doing all this, and uh, I mean that was. The little bowl you was talking about, that is awesome that y'all found that, and, and you can tell a story. I mean,
2: like yeah. you said,
3: your grandmother, uh, say one grandmother would say this and the grandfather would say this, and you never could put a true story to it. But now with what right. you're doing with the CWPPO, you can put a story behind it and then prove that it happened. So,
2: And, right. you know, uh, the relics don't lie. You know, you can hear all these stories, but whenever you find uh, dropped Union bullets on the, the crest of that bowl, then you know that they were firing from there, and then you found the fired Union bullets in the bottom, and then you find dropped infills in the bottom of the bowl, and and then uh, fired infills on the top. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket right. science scientist to, to figure out where the battle was and where the people were, you know.
0: Right. Yeah, a few other stories uh, that uh, I'm going to – his name is David McMahon. He's uh, the president of the Historical Society there in Carroll County. He actually had a story that he was partial to. He said there was one particular soldier that uh, was supposed to have been following a fence line and got knocked off his horse. He said he had to have been carrying some stuff, so I want you to check that hill. It's 500 acres. You cut that in half. I had to check 200 acres, but uh, (laughs) about where he said it was, I – I found a spill of small. They looked like 22 bullets, but they were just pistol bullets. They, it was just that's where he had to have fallen off the horse. Um, when you scan around and you're all metal, you, you found parts of the of the fencing. It right there is where he fell. It was just unbelievable to hold them bullets, and I think I found 14 of them there, uh, and to know that that's where a soldier was knocked off his horse. It was just unreal. My- uh, that's
3: great. Ohio Relic Hunter, he said one great story was a woman. A woman's husband hid the horses in the holler, and Morgan's men came uh, onto the farm, threatened to burn down the house if they didn't surrender the horses. Woman said, burn away, boys. The her- horses are worth more than the house. So that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: there's, a lot of those stories are definitely funny.
2: They but, are uh, funny. It,
0: it, when you read yeah, you you read the stories and you kind of put yourself in their place. And it's like, wow, that really happened? Like the 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 woman that actually lived in the Sharps farm, I believe they said her name was Sarah. It, you can just imagine your her. She's standing out in the yard and, and she's kind of in the road. And there's horses, three horses that are just, you know, with confederate men, on, just flying by her. And they hear bullets flying. They had bullets go through the house. Um, it, it's just it takes you back into that time, you know. But even though the, the property kind of looks different cuz they did a lot of logging, when they took down the trees and they took them out back at the sawmill to, to to cut them up, they were so full of lead that they couldn't even use the wood. They just burned it right right where it sat.
2: Yeah, and uh, how long did this battle go go on?
0: I believe that one was oh goodness, an hour and a half. I think for the first first dig, I think that was an hour and a half there.
2: And for those of you that don't know, uh, up in Carroll County and, uh, the, well, actually, I guess the adjoining County of, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, Columbiana. Uh, yep. That's it. Okay. That's where Morgan was finally captured. And then he was taken off to, uh, uh well, he had 700 of his men that were captured prior to him, probably in Carroll County. And then uh, Morgan was captured a little bit later, and then he was sent to prison, and and uh, three months later actually escaped and and went back to the Confederate lines. But those of mm-hmm. you that that don't know the layout of of Ohio, and I didn't until I researched it a little bit. Carroll County is in about the middle of the the eastern uh, side of Ohio. And that was the uh that was the Sharps farm that you're talking about in two thousand and fifteen where right. you found the ring. And then the the hunt mm-hmm. in two thousand and sixteen was in Morgan County, which is in the southeast uh quadrant of Ohio. And that's where Thomas right. Milton McGee grave was found, right? Right. Amazing, I tell you. And then uh in t- it is
3: amazing. And he found him before your presentation so i mean that, was, did. that it, was some it, quick work
0: it, and i had to gather my thoughts and gather myself to go back in and try to give a presentation while i was weeping for i don't know i just felt so so much when he told me that um, oh i'm i'm sure it, it was really overwhelming uh now we uh we want to do a, a you know a rededication ceremony for him and i'm i'm working with uh there's the Sons of the Confederacy around Chillicothe area, I believe, uh, was the closest chapter. They want to come in and and do a rededication ceremony. Uh, I got to get with the the Morgan County Historical Society, contact any family that that might want to be there. Um, I'm going to try to get that. I don't know. I wanted to do it in May of this year, but it's just taken a little bit longer. Um, What they want to do is there's a neighboring guy. It's on the Morris farm that uh wanted to donate like like an acre of property with a turnaround and then they want to put a marker in there because it's way too dangerous to walk down to see the grave it's it was very treacherous for people just to go up and, and scan it I mean poor Frank was was thrown into a big a big gator and and was just you know, he thought they were going to tip over a couple of times. You know, he only I mean, just wasn't used to that, but the guy driving <laughs> was. And um, the uh, the only the really cool thing about his grave site there was that every year white violets grow on it. That nowhere on the property uh, do those flowers grow, but on his grave.
2: That's amazing, man. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah that is that is yeah.
0: amazing.
3: Now there and is- I would love to come and see that sometime.
0: There, yeah, we're, we're hoping to get that in this year.
2: There is a marker there, right?
0: Uh, there's there's a marker down. Oh, yeah. He, they they actually put a, a newer headstone in in the 20s and the 30s, but they wasn't sure um, after that because of of the movement of of the body later. There was just too many stories to actually say, you know, where he was, but there is a marker there.
2: And, uh are y'all looking at maybe putting something else there, uh, fencing a spot in around that uh, grave or or anything like that?
0: I think he said it would probably be too dangerous to try to do that because then people would want to actually go down. But what they're going to do is just have a pull around at the top of the hill and then have a, a marker put in up there. Oh, okay. And I've been trying. If anybody can help do some research to find a photo of Thomas Milton McGee, that would be great. I've been I've been looking well since 2016 to try to find one, and I have not found one.
2: Well, I'll uh, I'll look on. I I subscribe to, and it, it costs a little bit of money, but as much uh, Civil mm-hmm. War research as we do, I paid, and I'm on Fold Three, and you can get uh, like I can get papers on him where uh, you know maybe he was sick and uh, or maybe mm-hmm. missing and, and there's all kind of correspondence and everything. And you know, pictures are hard to find. But I do know that he was in the second Kentucky Calvary in Company H. Right. And uh mm-hmm. I suspect he was a, a uh Kentucky boy, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well we did some research on him because one of the stories claimed that it wasn't Tommy Barry there, that it was a guy named Frederick Rolfe. Uh like three years after after the you know, the Civil War happened, somebody went back and requested to see the grave of Frederick Rolfe. No. Now, we had to do some research. There was mm-hmm. no Frederick Rolfe that served, you know, in the Kentucky Second Cavalry, but there was a Thomas Milton McGee. So it just went with that story that removed the Frederick Rolfe story completely. So what what David Mowry likes about this is he's got all these stories in the books that he's that he's writing he can go back and change the story you know to, to what we found and you know how we were able to prove certain stuff so he can get his information right and then you know the right stories will be out there
2: and that's yeah, that great. is great yeah it's great because uh so much history is you know it's based on uh you know Uh, old tales that were told like you said you know this person said this and this person said that and a lot of times those don't pan out but uh, whenever you get boots on the ground like you have done and what an amazing job that y'all are doing I mean just the grave part of it if that was all that that uh, the, the CWPPO accomplished it was a great success but then in Carroll County you're on the Sharps farm there you're able to diagram out the uh the location of all the troops and everything. Uh kudos to yeah. all of you guys. And uh, you know, Tennessee Jeff and I we we want to uh we want to come up and help on that in two thousand and eighteen if at all possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's if at all possible. Absolutely. I would
0: love yep. to so. Yeah of course, we've absolutely. got some
2: listeners some more listeners in I need
3: to shout out to. We've got a uh See, there's Bill Hayes. Uh, see, hey, there's Mike, Missouri Mike's in the house. Uh, see, I seen Barb in there earlier. I don't know where she went. I hadn't seen any comments here lately. Uh, there's a few more. Uh, there's Earl. He was he's in the house now. So we we appreciate all the listeners. I mean, we couldn't do this without you guys. So, no. but I mean, uh, you see, you hearing Sam? She's got some uh, good things going on up there at uh, CWPPO. So, I mean you it's don't need a to check your
2: facebook it page really out is. stuff like that so. <laughs> yeah yeah you're doing just a yeoman's job there's no doubt about it uh everything that you're doing uh tell us a little about a little bit about the uh, 2017 hunt in jackson county and by the way these hunts are are going from the northeast they're all going south uh which jackson county wouldn't be that far from us and uh you know, if, if that trend continues, it wouldn't be much a drive for me and <laughs> Jeff to come up. But anyway, tell us yeah. a, tell us a little bit about the uh, 2017 hunt.
0: Okay. Um, well, I originally planned on going back to Morgan County uh, because there was still some information they needed to get. We In the story, they, they said they crossed uh, Muskingum River and then they split. Uh, one going left onto a neighboring farm and then one onto the the McElhaney Farm, what they call the Raiders Farm now. Um we were able to find the smaller shot bullets and a, a few larger uh, caliber bullets out behind the neighboring farm, which kind of to us says, yeah, they, they went that way. Um, and in the McElhaney, they said that they went to the tavern. Uh, they were there for a little while and then they were supposed to have went up the hill and then met up where they call route 10. They were supposed to have met up there. Now we found a few things around the tavern and behind the tavern, but as soon as you hit the woods, nothing, uh, the landowners actually want to go out and brush hog a lot of that, so that originally was our plan for 2017. But while we were in New Richmond giving a presentation, there was a gentleman there named Ed Smith from Chillicothe who said, "Listen, there's there's a site in Jackson County. You need to get in before you can't get in anymore." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" He said, "This was a you know it was a big battle." And um, they're going to slate it all historical, nobody will ever be able to get in. And the landowner wants to try to get these relics out because he, uh, you know, he's a historian. He's the only historian that's done a lot of information down there. His name's Ron Salman, and he knows everything about the area. And he had his theory on what happened there, uh, you know, with the raiders and with the Union forces. And what was happening was they were going to slate it historical due to the town wanting it that way. So we only had till December. So that's where we ended up having to go. So in this one, they actually was uh, the city of, uh, oh goodness. Well, yeah, Wellston, sorry. And it was just in the, in the middle where they used to call Berlin crossing. And it was between let's see Munkles or uh, Runkles men had actually come down on the train to stop the, the Morgan's forces from coming up that way. So, the battle was basically in his backyard, and all of Berlin would have been just plastered with stuff. So we decided to grid this one off the way it was laid out. Um, his story basically is what we found. He, he believed that they did come down through the woods. We did find some bullets, and uh, we have certain sections that we had. Um, Now, Section 4, we had put uh, Bill Marsh and his crew didn't really find a lot of uh, Civil War relics, but they were in in the section below it, which changes the landowner's theory to, instead of going up through those woods, they came down into the yard. Uh, One of the greatest significant finds was uh, they called a stylus. It was almost just a pencil made out of lead. It had a hole in the end so that you could hang it on something, and, uh, you could dip it in berries, ink, blood, whatever you needed to write with. Right. They found that, I think it was Carolyn Harwick for out of the, uh, the, out of Florida that found that we had a best find, uh, contest thing going on and, and she won that for that find. She had, you know, he had it authenticated and everything, but there were a lot of, uh, different types of caliber bullets. There were some flat, flat bottom Tennessee bullets, which was real exciting, um, the uh, across the road where the Mor- where Morgan's men would have been, they had found a bullet back there, and I, I I it escapes my head. I can't remember who found that back there. I think it was one of the Hoover boys. Um, when you know when Ron first saw that, he said, "Oh, oh man, this is a Union bullet. This, that means the man at Chillicothe was right. You know this this relic is a Confederate." And there was somebody in the crew who said, "Oh no, no, that's that's Confederate bullet," and he lit up. <laughs> you know, he's an older guy, and he just lit up. He's like, I was right. I was right. So his theory was absolutely right. Um, he had originally found some cannonballs in his yard. You know, just digging a trench and stuff. So he believes there's still some up in the corner part of his property, and we actually are going to go back there at some time because he's he's got his tractor fixed, and he's going to go up and brush hog what we call Section 6 and Section 8 where he believes that there are cannonballs. Uh, up the road, there was a wagon tip. We're still trying to make connections there. So when we go back to that, it won't be a full blown event. Like what we typically do, it'll just be a small group, you know, that can go out and hammer it and, and get it done. Right. I'd rather have a big, full fun site, you know, for a lot of people with a lot of opportunity to find stuff than, than, you know, go back to where we've already been. Right. You know, Right. but it turned out, it turned out good
2: uh we're coming up on a hard break right here i'm gonna put y'all on uh, mute for just a minute and uh, we're gonna try and pay some bills here with a uh, message from our buddy tim henderson if your passion is metal detecting then you know how much your success is based on the equipment you use let my buddy tim henderson of Murray Branch Outdoors in Murfreesboro, Tennessee help you with that. Tim is an authorized dealer of Garrett, XP Deus, and micro detectors and supplies. He also carries a variety of aftermarket coils. Murray Branch Outdoors is not only competitive in their prices, but the service after the sale is second to none. You know, We've all experienced those situations where we purchase a new detector and then we get out in the field and we have questions about settings or operation of that particular detector. Well, I tell you what, with your purchase from Murray Branch Outdoors, you're also going to get Tim's personal cell phone number. That's right, his own cell phone number, and you're just a quick phone call away from getting answers to those questions. Now try that with some chain store purchase of a detector. Murray Branch Outdoors also deals in used detectors, and he'll give you top dollar for your trade-in whenever you decide to upgrade. So give Tim of Murray Branch Outdoors a call at 615-948-4611 and tell him Relics Radio said hey. You know, Sam, some of the uh, research that I did in... uh, on morgan and his ohio raid was that his men were ill-equipped with uh firepower most of them all all they had was coat 44s some of them were trying to use infills and uh you know that's a long rifle that's an infantry rifle that's not a uh mm-hmm. that's not a uh, uh cavalry type gun so Finding uh, you know the the normal Gallagher's and things like that that would be uh, cavalry rifles is probably uh, not something that uh, is going to be too you know too plentiful at those sites. But tell us just a little bit about the type of bullets that you guys are finding in Carroll County, Morgan County, and Jackson County.
0: Well, they they kind of range from all over. Um, you know, like I said, the the flat bottom Tennessee kind of sea bullets. They had, uh, let's see, I'm looking at this photo. Uh, 69 caliber, 54, uh, 44, 36, the 32 and 30 calibers. See on the, the 2017 dig, uh, the landowner actually told me this afterwards. He called and let me know uh, that everything was authenticated. The smaller bullets came from Runkles' men. They they were they were a lot of them were dropped. Uh, they actually carried four pistols. They had two on their hips and two on their chest. So that explains a lot about why we were finding a lot of these shot, small bullets. Uh, we were waiting on bigger bullets, but it just makes sense because that was, those were the weapons that they were actually carrying.
2: Yeah. I'd read that about, yes. uh, about them carrying, uh, four pistols, you know, and that was a smaller caliber. And, uh, for those of you that don't know that, uh, 54 caliber that's a 54 caliber tennessee it's a flat uh, base bullet isn't it yeah yeah and those are rare in our area here we we have i think i may have found two of those now we find a few conical base uh, or cavity base 54 calibers here that are like the uh, regulation 58 calibers but that flat base 54 i think i found two on this side that morgan was on here so uh, mm. that's kind of a, that's kind of a rare bullet in our area here. Yeah, we had, uh, I didn't
0: even, I didn't even know that that type of bullet existed. Like you said, I'm learning a lot about this kind of stuff and a lot about the bullets, but we have the, you know, the, the experts that show up there. And then we had, uh, the gentleman that authenticated them was there, uh, I think the last day we were there and then our second visit up. So he was real excited about that. But we found the shot one up on the hill where Runkle's men would have been and the dropped one across the road where Morgan's men would have been. So it it just absolutely makes his theory correct.
2: And it's amazing. You know, it's
3: great when you can put a story together like that. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. And, uh, of course, you find a relic – a lot of times you find a relic well it shouldn't be there but after you go through the records and then do your research well actually that relic should have been there you just didn't know it at the time so
0: Right. Yeah, and you never know what you're going to find on these it's it's just that's the fun part.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I think that's what gets a lot of people in the metal detecting. I mean just I mean you never know what that yeah. next signal is going to be and and I mean it could be a gold coin, and then we'll get into that in a few minutes. But I yeah. mean, or it could be <laughs> a great silver coin. But I mean, it's or you could be like Jeff Ford. I mean, of course, his big silver hoard that uh, him and Wes has found. I mean, of course. I mean, you never know when you're going to run over that life, find uh, of a lifetime.
2: And that ring, right. that right. ring that you found, you know that that kind of got this whole thing started, didn't it?
0: It did. did. And had I not found that this, this would not have kicked off like this every year. I mean, it seems like, well, this is the third year I have landowners coming to me. It's almost a little easier now. Hey, I got property or I got property over here. Here's some places. I, I have places in other States that people want me to come and check. And it, it's a little difficult. I, I, I would love to bump it up to two digs a year, but that might be a little bit too busy. Um, but there's so many areas that opened up and it, it's just, you know, whoever calls and says, I've got some property. We go check it out. Maybe do a quick scan, read into it, see how much action was there. You know, if they just camp there one night, there's not going to be a whole lot of stuff. You know, there's no mm-hmm. missions to, to accomplish or there's nothing to really find, uh, other than, you know, a few relics, which is great, but we it's not really a story that we're trying to figure out. Um, so I would do that, you know, on, on the side, but so bouncing around along this trail is kind of, it's just, we're just landing where the you know best probability it is to, to come up with a story that, you know, solidifies it.
2: And it would be a lifetime, uh, endeavor to take that whole trail. It would take, uh, literally thousands of detectives to cover all that ground and, and put that whole puzzle together, right. you know? Because some places, uh, yeah. some places are going to have you know they they might have camped uh, for a a day there and drop a few things right. and then it may be ten miles before mm-hmm. you find anything else and you really don't know which direction to go.
0: Right, right. There's it, there was uh, something that funny that well I thought it was funny happened on the first year right before the dig. Uh, you know, Morgan's Trail went from, you know, western Ohio to eastern Ohio, and it's, it's 1,100 miles long, and I had people calling me while I was out metal detecting, hey, somebody's at your site, somebody's digging the site, and I'm like, what do you mean? If There's a video online there. They're digging the Morgan site. And I'm like, do you have any idea how long the trail is? <laughs> <laughs> they weren't on my site at all. They weren't even, they were clear across state. It was, uh, so I kind of had to explain it to them, you know, that the trail was very long and, and our site was secure. And there's going to be sites that, that people have hit. I mean, this it isn't a, a big secret to people that metal detect that might know the history in certain areas. Um, we go in, the, the sites we've been on, the first one, I was, uh, well, the landowners were under the impression that their own, that they didn't allow anybody in there to metal detect. And we found out later that two local men had been metal detecting it for 10 years. And no it was kid. a big bummer. Yes. What did they find and take out of there? You know, it was very discouraging. The guy even showed up while we were there. What are you doing? I've been coming here for years. He, You know, he told the landowner he's been hunting, but they thought he meant, coon hunting or deer hunting and that's not not what he meant at all so it wasn't oh, it was a slap yeah. in the face to the landowners for sure uh the second site uh to their knowledge and they've lived there for years um you no know, you know his her, her ancestors lived there. Nobody's ever really had a detector out there. We're um, on site just last year in Jackson County, he detects as well as his son, and they you know they detected the yard, and they made that well you know, us well aware of that. But up in the woods, he, he's an older guy, so he didn't really get up there too much. But uh, we like to ask, you know, has anybody ever been there? What have you found? Um, it's just nice to know what we're up against.
2: Uh, yeah, dump, dump. then
3: we've got a question from uh dump site digger. Uh, he was asking, "Do you need a pulse machine in the soil in Ohio for or for the uh, CWPPO sites?"
0: You know, I think they talked about that to try to find some of those deeper uh, cannon balls. Um, I don't, I don't know too much about the pulse machines, but uh, they had a, you know, they had a couple there. We had put, I think, uh, Blistol guys. Um, in section one, which was right at the landowners, where they've already found three cannonballs, and then they had what were they called? They were Garrett, uh, um, ATX. Okay, yeah, ATX, yeah. Um, so we yeah. had we had that there too. We've got but a, we've it's got always a, useful.
2: Yeah, uh, that's me and Jeff uh, hunt with GPXs, and if we come, we would uh, certainly bring them. But we've got a caller coming. Okay, who we got on the line? Okay. Hey, seven. This is Dave Stuger. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Sam. I hope hey. you all doing good Hello. tonight. Hey, doing great.
3: Uh, I got a, a good. I got a quick question. Uh, I know that the part of you're talking about in Ohio is kind of close to West Virginia, and West Virginia separated, you know, right after the start of the Civil War from Virginia. But was there any Confederate sympathizers in that area that wanted to say stay with the Confederacy or stay with, you know, in that area? Uh, that you're aware of, or was it all they were all for the Union, or I'll put that. Well, to you, there were Sam. a lot
0: of people that helped the Confederates because they were just feared for their lives. Um, there were a lot of people that that housed them so that they wouldn't burn them down or rob them. Uh, they fed them, um, but a lot of a lot of people hid. A lot of people hid their their stuff, and in the stories, like in in you know the Lisbon area of Columbia County a lot of people hid their stuff in the woods and only half the people remembered where they buried it. So there, there could be, you know, there's just a lot of different, uh, different takes in front of, you know, from the stories, but, uh, they helped them when they were there, you know, just to get them through right. quickly.
3: And I don't think. Yeah. That- yeah. So there's no telling what all is up in there. Then. There's no telling what's hiding around. Yeah. In that area.
0: Well, then. the leader of the copperheads actually had a house in Lisbon. Um, he actually was working, with and for the Confederates. And he was caught and they dressed him in civilian clothes, I believe, or union so that nobody would know that, 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 you know, he was working with the Confederates. So they'd have shot him. So huh. the, he did have some contacts around here.
1: Well, that's very interesting. Well, thank
2: you so much for uh, taking
0: my call. I just want to ask a question and, uh, I'll let you guys get back to it. Thank
3: you so much. Okay. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Thank
2: you. Hey, thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, Sam, uh, you might get Evan to call in. That's your fiance, and he's uh, he's your sidekick in all this, and and helps you out. Yeah, he it, helped
0: it, a lot in the last day. He's calling in now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Have
2: we got you on? So I was telling, I was okay. Have we Did got you, you? Answer it. Have we got you on,
3: Evan? Yeah. Hey guys, how's it going?
2: Hey, it's going great. Well, how's it going, Evan? Y'all oh, got a good, you all got a great deal going on up there. i tell you what, kudos to you, all of you.
3: You really do. Yeah. I'm, I was I'm telling uh, Sam earlier, it. I was telling Sam earlier that, I, uh, I'd uh, my wife had went twice with me, uh, relic hunting. And then, uh, of course she was miserable the two times she went and then even <laughs> after finding civil war bullets. So, but I mean, of course, uh, you're engaged now and then congratulations on that and, Thank I mean, it must be nice to have somebody you can go relic hunting with. Like, yeah. That, so. yeah. It's,
1: uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty unique situation. It's, it's awesome because, uh, it, you know, if, if we're both wanting something to do, we don't, we don't discuss it. We just get our gear out and hit the road. Um, we've both been doing this since, you know, since we're kids and we're, uh, we're very passionate about it and, that's what? that's what we're doing in our spare time.
2: Well, you don't live in Ohio. You live in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if,
1: Absolutely.
2: If you're looking for something for uh, you and your lady to do and you both just, uh, you know, just grab detectors and go, yeah, you're <laughs> living in heaven, ain't he, Jeff?
1: Yeah, 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 that's
3: right. And I mean, you look at Valentine's Day, Christmas, birthdays. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you could just buy her something for metal detecting and I mean, you can use it too, man. <laughs> I, seven, we're doing yeah. something wrong, buddy. I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> yeah.
2: How did uh, how did each one of you guys get into metal detecting? Oh, uh um, actually well,
0: my dad um it uh, started me on the metal detecting when I was 12. I, I wasn't allowed to run the machine at that time. I had to dig all the holes, so I'm a pro at digging a plug. <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> That's good.
0: And then, you know, I kind of got away from it a little bit, but then I got back into it, and um, it just it it just, it took off from there. I mean, I was hitting sites that nobody's ever been at, just recovering things that... I didn't even know what this stuff was. I found a three cent piece in a, in a field that I've been detecting and I'm calling my dad going, what did I find? (laughs) You know, since I, since I was 12.
2: How about you, Evan? How'd you get started in it?
1: Um, when I was, I think 12 or 13, um, my, my grand, my great grandparents or my great grandmother had a hundred acre farm in Delaware County. And, um, her, her husband had passed, but years back, uh, as the story went, he, he lost a big gold wedding ring with, with some diamonds in it. Um, and they said maybe when he was feeding the chickens, like it slipped off. So my dad, like, you know, kind of started off like, like a joke, like, well, we'll just get Evan a metal detector and, and send him out and see if he can find it. And, um, they got me one and I just, I kind of took two. I I looked for, for that ring clear up through high school. I I never did find it, but I, you know, I found, you know, all sorts of other things. Um, And from there on out, I just kept upgrading. That was just the, I think it was a Radio Shack model or it was like a bounty hunter equivalent. Um, And then just, just slowly upgraded as I could afford to, but, it's just something I've always, always enjoyed. And obviously. So we, we
3: always ask this on the, uh, uh, everybody that's on the, uh, podcast, uh, do y'all have a favorite find? <laughs> find?
1: Okay.
3: I know I, you're Sam. I,
0: I have two. Well, it's kind of a toss up with that ring that kicked off this whole civil war, uh, hunt, but. I mm-hmm. found uh, a U.S. belt buckle, so my favorite relic was that, and that was actually around Jewett, Ohio, in Harrison County. Now I know, I know that there was some Civil War action there. I, I, I still have to get with the historical society to find out what all happened, but they did travel through there um, at one point, and I found one in a yard. And it, it, I wanted to do history on the house, and I, I never got around to it because I never met with the guy yet but non relic would be the 1839
3: gold coin <laughs> imagine that if y'all haven't seen that video of that i mean you you need to go to her uh youtube channel and look at that uh video i mean of uh, course it, it's a great coin i mean it's it's i mean and you can tell how she loves the coin i mean of course anybody would uh, love that coin so
0: you know it, what it, about your it had
3: a,
1: go ahead
0: oh no go ahead go ahead cool.
1: Um, uh you can go ahead, Sam. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, go ahead,
0: Sam. Okay. Well, I'll tell you the story because it's too funny not to. Uh when I first dug that plug, uh, I just I don't even remember where everybody was. I mean uh Justin Dolly was, was right behind me digging something and uh, uh Brandon Stewart was around the front and I think Bill Marsh was around the the left side of me. I, I don't even really remember. But I dug the plug and at first it looked like uh, a Canadian dollar, like the the gold colored type of Canadian dollar and I just stood up and I opened my hand and the dirt just fell off of her face and as soon as that happened I went back on my knees and I looked around and I'm I couldn't even really talk and I'm going Justin and I'm holding my you know holding it in my hand and I'm crying and he's like oh my gosh did you hurt yourself <laughs> I'm like no get the camera <laughs> so and then after that I don't really remember a whole lot I had to watch the video to to even to even remember, but they did have to help me up and get me to my truck. <laughs> so, yeah, greatest thing ever as far as non-relic. I'm not much of a, a coin hunter, but I, but that was mm-hmm. awesome.
3: <laughs> that, that's a good story. And, then, I mean, I would have been the same way if I'd found one. So, yeah. But what about you, Evan? What I mean, what is yours?
1: Um, well, I'd say my favorite, my all-time favorite non-relic find would have to be Sam's. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. We ain't going to let that <laughs> We ain't going to let that <laughs> <laughs> so, Um, You know, I think, you, you know, if, I'm excited about anything new, I find that I haven't found prior. But I think I think the, the greatest feeling I ever found after finding something was my grandfather lost a wedding band. And I was probably in my 20s. And he lost it out in the yard, and I I was able to find it for him. That to me was that was something I always remember. But um, I'm more you know I'm always looking for something I haven't found. So like right now I I think my favorite find was a uh, last year I got my first uh, great bust larch scent. It was a 1803. So that's you know that's my favorite favorite recent find I think. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. if it, you know it's always changing. It's a thrill to hunt for me.
2: Yeah. What's on your bucket list, Evan? Um at the top of it. The twenty cent
1: the twenty cent piece, that's that's gonna be like way up there. Um gotta get a gold coin, you know, so that way me and Sam both have one of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> those are up on top. Yeah, it's kinda <laughs> um, it's kinda <laughs>
2: hard to be in a relationship, isn't it, whenever she's bested you on the gold coin. You <laughs> you gotta kinda draw <laughs> well, in there.
1: You know, we go out, and sometimes she slays at night. I walk out with nothing, and sometimes vice versa. But but uh, we always enjoy getting out, regardless of whether we find anything or not. So it, it works out just fine.
2: Yeah, that's a, the a way with uh, me and Jeff. We hunted Tuesday, and uh, uh, at the first of the hunt, I found really quite a bit more than he did, and he wrapped up the day with the mm-hmm. find of the day. So, you know, it it, it goes that way. Uh, yep. I'm, I'm going to ask both of you a loaded question though. I don't mean to, uh, uh, put a monkey ranch in your relationship, but who is the better detector? <laughs> oh,
1: I'm going to say Sam. Yeah, definitely Sam. That's
2: because
0: of the gold coin, right? <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I yeah,
2: I hadn't talked to Evan, but just a few minutes, but I can tell you are a very smart man.
3: Oh, he is. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking that man. He's he's cu- popping them good answers off right and left. Oh. I mean,
1: that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I think we're we're both very experienced and we make a great team. Yeah. Um, yep. We And we we uh, we both think very differently about things and I think that's a huge advantage cuz you know, the way I I go and read a you know, read a field site, she might read it different differently and collectively I think we we've got an advantage there. We can we can combine thoughts and and uh kind of put the site together, you know.
2: Can you elaborate mm-hmm. on that? I mean, how do you approach a site differently than her or how does she approach one that's different than you?
1: Well, like um the area I primarily hunted in was in uh northern Delaware County, north of Columbus, and there it's basically plains. It's it's corn and corn and bean fields, very, you know, not a whole lot of rolling hills or mountains. And I relocated out here, and we're on cellar holes. We're on mountainous regions and valleys and canals. And so, you know, the way I visualize a site, like, out in those fields, I can, I can spot a site. I mean, I can drive up the road and go, and I, you know, I, I know there's a site there. Um, it's a little different out here so she has way more experience digging and finding the cellar holes and I've got more experience on on the farm fields Um, but collectively uh, there's just so many things to read a site Um, like I'm I'm, you know reading trees and um, uh, you know approach ways you can sometimes see them um, all sorts of different things but I guess we just have we both have um, different experiences in metal detecting. So um, collectively we, we we make a great team, you know, approaching a site yeah. and trying to figure out where to where to where to hunt.
0: Yeah, Evan does a lot of the mapping. Well, he's doing overlays on the mapping. I'm looking, I'm looking up historical book information on that township or on that county. And I'm finding places within the story. Uh, of what, of what happened and he could find that area on the map. And we, we have found a couple of groves that way, uh, picnic areas. Uh, I found an old park that I didn't even know where it was. We did some research together in different ways and we were able to find the park and we, we, uh, we're pretty, you know, pretty close to permission now, but we kind of just have our own research ways that kind of amps up how we're doing this together. So it's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't know, uh, Evan, if you are aware there is a program. It was actually made for skiers, and me and Jeff have just started using it. And uh, Heath Jones with uh, a History Seekers podcast, they did a podcast on it, and he did a video. But it's called Maprika. And uh, Jeff, if you could, I've put, heard of it. If you put that in the uh, chat, there, uh, somebody put a link or something in there it is the greatest program i used to try an overlay and overlay is extremely difficult but if you get enough reference points on uh where streams cross and or fork out and mm-hmm. and the old roads and things this thing will this program will lead you right to the sites it's the most amazing program really? that i've ever seen and uh then you get huh.
3: it is it's a great site
2: Me and Jeff have used it uh, two or three times, and we've walked right to the sites. Ohio relic hunter put it in. It's it's a map. Okay, Okay. I
3: was I was trying to get to it, and I wasn't fast enough. So, thank you, Ohio (laughs) (laughs) relic hunter.
2: What kind of detectors are uh, are you guys using? I know uh, Sam that you just got an Equinox. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, uh, the whole time that I've been detecting since I was twelve to now, I've I've only used white detectors because my dad always used them and I know them. Uh, This year, I wanted to try something different because my MXT is really heavy. It's it's just I can't go out for twelve hours. I I like to dig from from morning till night, so. It's really been wearing on me. Uh, So I was just kind of waiting for something to just, you know, grab me. I started to see these videos on this Equinox that uh, Brandon Meese was putting out and recovery speed videos and depth videos, and I, I got intrigued by that. The more I watched it and the more I learned about it, I wanted one. And I'm using it now. I've probably been out maybe four times with it. It is a learning curve because I'm not used to five tones. I know you can go in and program it. But I've just been running it in factory settings, uh, and keeping, keeping my iron as low as possible so I'm not listening to it that much. And I adjust my sensitivity um, to whatever site we're at. And this thing has been hitting on stuff that my machine has missed. And they're small stuff like like little buttons, you know, little pieces of brass, chunks of stuff that, you know, chunks of brass. It's it's kind of like nothing when you dig them up and just throw them away. But those small pieces, you know, could be a button. It could be it could mm-hmm. be part of a of a coin. You, you don't know. But this machine is good. We we did a, a simple depth test. We made a, a garden test and we tested a bunch of machines. I think we had like seven of them.
2: Yeah, I've seen And
0: way. we did we yeah we did the Equinox and then they did the thirty thirty test. The 30-30 kind of matched with, uh, you know, with the Equinox in depth. It didn't really pick up that real very well until he did some adjustments, but it didn't hit gold. The Equinox did. I buried a gold chain, and the CTX didn't pick it up. But the, yeah, but that the Equinox was just a,
1: that was, it. I think just a, a park setting, too, and, and the Equinox had yeah. a gold program, but it slammed yeah. it on, on just their run-of-the-mill preset program
2: and i know you guys have seen that uh that video of the guy that was on the beach that put the uh, gold chain it wasn't connected it was just (laughs) lengthwise and uh, most people don't know that a detector on a gold chain is trying to pick up each individual link that's why they're so hard to find and i was amazed by that yeah i I I didn't know that until you just said that
0: it was able to it was able to find a silver quarter under a nail. And I know a lot of them can if the nail is aimed a certain way. You can swing it and hear it, but not the other way. But the Equinox picked it up both ways. It separated it like nothing.
1: Uh, it's fast. The CTX yeah, didn't like,
0: pick it up. It, yeah.
1: Boy, Unbelievable. I, I figured you could, you, it separate, you know, it, it's running so fast. You're swinging over a silver coin with a nail down the center of it it's hitting on either side of the coin i mean it's it's fast it's lightning fast um and and then i think being able to run run a multi-frequency from yeah i think it's five kilohertz clear up to 40 all at the same time i think that's why she's pulling all these very very small items as well as big stuff without having to change change frequencies it's it's pretty slick That is,
3: man. You know, that's doing a lot of stuff, just in a little bit of time. I mean, you're going from them frequencies like that, and I mean, it's working hard, and I mean, it's amazing the technology that is coming out these days. And then, I mean, of course, the 7 and I, we run the AT Pro and love the AT Pro, and then, I mean, we're, of course, we're kind of, we know the machine, that is it. I mean, I can read the ground, I can tell a sight, and then, I mean, with the Equinox coming out and a few other detectors, and we thought about maybe trying the DAS or something like that. And then, but I mean, we need to maybe just uh, widen our uh, detector arsenal. Or they're something. great.
1: They're great machines. I I think I would say at the CWPPO hunt, oh, I'd say there was probably more AT pros than any other machine um they're great machines
2: what's your uh go-to mm-hmm. machine evan what are you using most of the time
1: um uh, most of the time uh i'm i'm probably using my dais majority of the time right now um i'm i've also got a, a list tool v6 that i'll i'll run to um i've got a couple other machines but those are the two i i keep in keep in the car um i like the uh I like the blistow in parks because I've, I've kind of figured out a way to go into an old park and, and pull stuff, basically just search for really deep things um, Mm -hmm. and kind of ignore everything else. And it kind of just, for some reason it it gets through all, all the, the litter, the modern debris. And I can still, I I, I can tell when I've got a low coin. Um, And then in quiet field sites, uh, I like to run it too.
3: Yeah. The bliss tool. See, I looked at one of them at one time and it, are they, does it have a, like a, uh, big swing curve? I mean, like
1: learning curve. Absolutely. I think, um, of all the machines I've ever owned, um, it's been the most challenging. Um, there's so many, there's so many dials on it that if you forget mm-hmm. something, or you bump something, then um, I mean, it'll still run, but it's not going to run, you know, optimum. So mm-hmm. um, there are some sites I won't run it. Like I won't run it out in the woods because the dials get snagged. The knobs get snagged. It gets bumped. Um, there's really no protection for it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't horrible to learn, but um, it's the one that, I think, like, over the DS, the DS I can turn on, I'm very confident with it. Um, the Bliss tool, I have to be not rushed. Like, I won't do it on a doorknob permission or something like that um, because, you know, it takes me a lot of time to, to make sure I've got it ground balanced, it's running stable, um, and I'm pushing it, you know, I'm pushing the machine to where I'm comfortable where it's running. It just
3: yeah. definitely uh, not
1: not a beginner
3: machine. Yeah. I've seen several videos. I mean of course the blue, I mean it's a great machine and a great tool, but you the videos I've seen you had to get it set just right for the location you're at. And then say Correct. if you go yep. down the hill then you have to reset all that again. And I mean It'll of course run, you know the soil yeah. changes just I mean as much as it does.
1: Right, right. Um yes, I I'd agree. If if you're if you're moving you know, if you're moving a lot of area, then yeah, you, you, we got to, you can tell when it's drifting off. Now mine's got a, it's a, the V6 version. It, it's running, it's running more, it's got an automatic stabilizer and, uh, it runs better than most of them, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you get, you know, you get in your power lines, it will get, it will pick up some EMI and you, you have to run it on a turbo mode. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh. It's a challenging machine, but um, when I got it set up and I, I'm confident and I know I know I've got it set up and it's you know it sounds like it should sound, um, I usually have a really good day.
2: It's an amazing yeah. machine, from what I hear and from what I've seen. I've never tried to use one. I'm gonna put you two guys on the spot because you all, you two have got a Equinox and you've got a uh, uh, XP Deus. Are you comfortable enough with those two machines right now to tell me what you think the strengths and weaknesses between those two machines are?
1: Um, Yeah, I think, um, like on the Equinox, um, the first thing I like better about it than the Deus is that the coil is hardwired. I like that idea because you can submerge the coil without having an antenna, I mean that that machine you can take ten feet under completely underwater where the Dais is you know it's water resistant, it's you couldn't submerge it. Um that's an advantage. Uh the Equinox runs five frequencies simultaneously. The Dais you have to flip through and, and pick one. So I mean to me the technology is far more advanced. Um the But the Deus has that the Equinox doesn't have. Um, There's a wireless module that transmits between the headphones and the machine. And my guess is that Deus probably still holds a patent on it to where the headphones can't talk directly to the machine. Maybe, you know, possibly, I'm I'm not sure. But uh, to me, it's like one more thing to clip on your belt that... You know, I don't have to worry about that with the dais, but uh, but other than that, I mean they're they're both great machines, our depth tests. Um, you know they're we're just comparing machines, throwing some coins in some holes. but the uh, as far as the depth tests go the the equinox smoked the dais at least on our tests, and I haven't seen anyone prove otherwise yet. Um, possibly in different soil conditions, maybe it would do better. But here in our, at our test, what, what we witnessed um, it, you know, it, it surpassed it uh, on depth. So it's looking like a, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about getting, getting one. I'll probably always have a dais, but, but um, I'm, I'm throwing around the idea of getting one myself.
2: And uh- on the 800, you are, like on the CTX, you're able to go in there, and, and you've got 50 tones, and you can break those tones where you want to. Now, the way I understand on the Equinox, on the 600, you can't do that, but on the 800, you can. You can uh, you can uh, break those tones wherever you want and, and kind of set them, set them up, uh, customize them Correct. to, to yep. your liking. Yep.
1: Yep. Y- yeah, we're— What are, we are you actually, talking about— go ahead Evan i just I was just saying we were we were playing with it today. Um, I'm trying to get some ideas um, running through learning the interface but uh yeah it's it's it seems like it's got the same same capability as the CTX as far as programming you can It's got notch discrimination you can right. you can knock out what you don't want. you can do tone breaks, clear across yep. you know the full band. Yep.
2: And for those of you that don't know what we're talking about on the tone break, tone breaks, uh, Vic, Tuck, Vic Tucker, uh, Cohen Whisper, him and and myself, we both had CTXs at the time, and uh, Vic was going in there and notching the twelve, say twelve ten to twelve thirteen or fourteen, into where the nickel range is into a high tone, and you could put that where it'd ring up like a silver quarter, you know. And he was just mm-hmm. digging high tones, but he wanted to dig the uh, nickel signals too. So you're able to, to put whatever frequency of a tone that you want at whatever uh, conductivity that you want there, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, see, I've never owned a CTX, and that was my question. So, that, I mean, that, that's pretty good. I like that.
2: There would be times whenever mm-hmm. that would be great, you know, uh, to use. And I always ran yeah. I always ran my uh, CTX in 50 tone because I liked mm-hmm. hearing all of those tones, and I could pick out... Of course, I was hunting flat buttons, uh, basically, and I could hear a flat button in with a bunch of nails because it just had that certain tone, and uh, uh-huh. and, and it was dead on all the time. I could dig them in a in a bucket of nails. So uh, I like the idea that that 800 is the same way, you know.
0: Yeah, and I've had that online. Uh, I had it set up, I think, in Field 2, uh, and it was either the first or the second day out, and I thought I was going to go nuts at all the tones I was hearing. I'm like, how, how does anybody stand this? You know, because I was used to just two-tone. <laughs> it was either good or it was bad, and I could adjust it how I wanted to on the, on the box of the MXC and run with it. This is more more brain work, but it's going to be more powerful. I mean, I if, if I want to notch out, you know, 10 through 12 because I don't want to find little, just little pieces of brass, I can crank that out, notch it out, and then keep going from, you know, maybe 15 and up, which is nickel, you can get anything relic in that range too, but I was able to get through this, this field that we have been detecting, I've been in it for about, how, I want to say 10 years, I've, I've been down there forever, and mm-hmm. I've had my machine at this place, oh, I, I don't know, a hundred times, but I took the Equinox out there, I was just out there, just did a video on it. I was able to get through. I found the doorknob to a church that sat on that property in the early 1800s. The doorknob. I've been over that property hundreds of times with my MXT and never hit on that. I was able to get through the iron. I found uh, the same day. I found you know a, a fatty Indian, an eagle scent, uh, you know a thimble piece, just small buttons that you could just fit on the end of your finger. It's just this machine is just ripping it up out there. Um, I'm very, very pleased with this machine so far. And once I'm able to get it programmed to to, to my liking, it's going to be a relic killer.
2: <laughs> well, what really surprises yeah, me like is what Evan said that uh, compared to the Dash, you know, it's just got a lot more depth.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That's what we were seeing. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like it seemed like it was holding its own. I mean, it was right right head to head with the Ctx and proved an advantage on on gold so yeah there's it's it's definitely in, in the price you can't can't beat it i mean you're i think uh uh you know the data with a 11 inch coil and wireless and everything around you i don't 13 14 hundred dollars and this one's this one's selling for around nine i think so i mean to me if i was gonna if i didn't have either and was gonna pick one uh, I think you get some good bang for your buck with the Equinox.
2: And from what I understand, they're going to put a, a six—I t- mean, a six-inch coil out in the spring to go with that, and then yeah, and yep. then a larger yep. coil in uh, maybe July. I think Debbie said.
1: Yeah, 15-inch. I think they're they're coming out with them, and then yeah, six-inch little double D, which will be happy. Plucking out, yeah. One shooting parks and sifting
2: through yeah. iron. <laughs> We're running up. So, on. is the uh, is the
3: Equinox is it a waterproof? Yep, yes, uh, to 10 feet. Okay, you could, could take it completely underwater. 10
1: feet. Okay,
2: yeah, okay. it's the same as uh, same as AT Pro. We're running up on about an hour oh. and 15 minutes right now. Uh, some of you may have some questions for uh, Evan or Sam that we haven't asked. We'll open up the lines and let you get a call in here real quick if you want to. The number is 270-495-0315. Jeff, if you'll put that number in the chat. Uh, somebody may have a question on CWPPO or the Equinox or uh, anything like that. Just uh, call in, and we, uh, Skype's been working great for us here lately, so we can take your call, and they can answer your question. If they can't, they're like us. They're I've Been ready. noticing they can make up something. Yeah, Evan. Yep.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Jack. I've been noticing a couple of uh, comments. Uh, some storms are headed their way, so everybody be safe out there. So um, yeah,
1: we, yeah, we got some high wind warnings.
0: Terrible winds.
2: <laughs> yeah, we've had terrible it's winds wet, here the ground all day. Is too, I bet we'll lose a
1: lot of trees. The ground's saturated. I would imagine there'll be some trees coming over tomorrow.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, see, actually, uh, yesterday, where it rained so much here, there was a big tree fell across from the house. So I got more firewood, so. Hey, that's a good thing, as long as it missed the
2: house.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it missed the house, so.
2: So what are y'all, what what are your, uh, what's the long-range plan for you guys other than marriage? metal detecting bios I mean your long range plans
1: um you know long range I don't know I, I i do know that we don't we don't plan on hanging up anytime soon it's it's kind of nope. our our thing <laughs> um it it's it's kind of weird because I've tried lots of other things like I golf for a while and you know you know you watch sports, whatever, but nothing really ever stuck with me but it just this doesn't get old like i mean it, nope. it's it's like almost like you, it's an addiction it's like the thrill to hunt um i think we'll be doing this till we're old and gray um, yep. <laughs> just, just ohio alone um the amount of history that's here I and mean, we never run out of sights i mean it's not possible it's uh there's just there's so much out there if you're if you're got your eyes open and you're looking for, um, we, uh, heck the other day we were doing some mapping and spotted a town. I mean, this town was taken out, I don't know, years and years back, back when they took the canal out, um, out in the middle of the woods and we map it and it's like, there's a whole town, gridded houses, everything. There's nothing there. There's one, one farmhouse. All that's left. So, mm-hmm. we we stopped out there earlier this week, and and uh, he said, yeah, "Have at it." <laughs> so
2: that <laughs> site alone
1: will be on for a couple years, probably. <laughs> but we're always we always got places to hunt, and if and we're always lining up new sites.
2: And you guys yep. have we on.
1: got a,
3: a Deus Digger uh, Deus Digger put in a, a question here. It says, uh, "Best find." other than Civil War artifacts, Sam and Evan. Uh, We discussed this earlier, uh, Best Digger. It was, uh, Sam's was the uh, gold coin, and uh, Evan, he put Sam. So he said Sam was his favorite find.
2: (laughs) Well, you got any more questions for him, Jeff? No. Well, on average, how
3: many... uh, People are at the uh, CWPPO
0: funds. Well, um, the first dig, uh, it was a combination of the people that were coming to dig as well as other people that were interested in what we were doing. It was about 160. Um, The 2016 dig, I believe, was about between 120 and 130 and then um just last year I think we were around one forty five, one fifty. Um so you know local townspeople come in and talk, they like to listen. So uh we we have big groups all the time. It's it's always um it's always fun. You know, you you get people, mm-hmm. you get the, the word out about what you're doing, that word travels and then people are contacting you you know, saying, Hey, I have a site, or even if it's not civil war, we, we were in New Richmond and there was a gentleman, uh, that ran the historical society somewhere in the Northwest uh, part of Ohio. And he said here on the historical society, president of this town, I'd love to have your crew in. And, you know, I still have yet to email him <laughs> because we've, we've mm-hmm. been really busy with the project and, and other things that we were doing with the project as well. Um, so I, I still even need to need to get a hold of him, but it always opens up doors. And the more you work with historical societies, you have uh, you have better reputation. You have um, a lot of things under your belt. They they trust you and they want you in, um, you know, you just do your best you know, and follow, you know, digger code and just do fill your holes, you know, be friendly, hand over anything that, that they want and, you know, be on your way and just, you know, do your best. It's, it's, you, you get some people out there that are hitting just parks in town and they're leaving holes open and there you go. You lost the park. You know, nobody else can be in there because the one guy left the hole open. So I can't stress enough mm-hmm. to don't leave a mess. You take the trash and, you know, make it look like you were never there.
2: <laughs> and you guys are with kind right. of, you're kind of bridging the gap between metal detectorists and archeologists with all the history and, and yeah. documentation and everything. And that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the this, I, last year we've we've really really stepped it up with with doing the uh, GPS coordinates uh, to you know 10 and GPS coordinates where everything's being found. So I think there I think uh, a lot of people are gun shy calling up archaeologists. You know they're they're afraid of losing their land or they're afraid right. of too much state government involvement. I think in a lot right. of cases, um, we're a great fit for 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 a lot of these smaller towns.
2: I think so too. And yeah, I, I had a, go ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. A, a, well, I had a, there's a university in Indiana that has been contacting me or trying to reach me for for the past two years. They want in on what we're doing. Um, I don't want any part of that because I know that once you allow. Uh, that type of archaeological type thing going on, they could seize land. And I want my landowners to know, you know, I'm not here to do that. I want to keep that possibility as far away from me as possible. And even if they come on and they sign, you know, papers stating that they won't, I'm still not comfortable with that. Uh, We're good. We're the best of what we're doing. We're not going to go in and just dig a four-foot by two foot deep and and do a square. We're scanning this whole ground. You know, we we have the equipment that can do that. And I think they're, maybe they're running out of things for their college students to do. I'm not quite sure, but we're the best (laughs) at what we do. And I know I'm not saying that they can't do that too, but without our technology, you're only going to find something that's in a square. We can cover 500, 600 acres in a weekend with a crew of 200. You know, we can put together a story way better, in my opinion. I don't know how people can, can you know, say what they want. I think that we have an advantage there. I don't, I don't include uh, the archaeological side of it because what we're doing is not what they're doing. It's
1: not, but... You know, that's
3: exactly right. I've had a, a couple of landowners here that I've asked permission. And the uh, first thing they asked me, uh, you're not an archaeologist, are you? I mean, you're not going to try to take my land right. and all this. And then mm-hmm. I was like, no. I said, I'm right. just a redneck with a metal detector. And then I said, i just <laughs> like to find history. And they're like, well, yeah, that's fine. Go yeah. ahead. And then, so...
0: Yeah, yeah. That's one of the biggest things I let them know right off the bat. While I'm doing presentations or meeting with landowners, they also know that anything we find goes to them. You, know, they can keep whatever we find. We just want to take photos and put the story together. Now,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: far, for for three consecutive years, all of them have donated everything that we had found to the to the museums, and that has been great. Now, the GPS coordinating is really well. Uh, it, it's great because we had a, a gentleman come in from GIS. He flew in here, uh, I think in Nevada, but he ran the program. He's a metal detectorist. His name is Ryan Cammer. He came over, he, he set up the program. I had, uh, leads in, in all of these sections that were just recording things, photos, GPS. We were on a hill with three cell towers. So it was perfect. But down in a valley, like the first dig, we couldn't have done it there. There's no cell service. We actually had to go the paper route way. Here's a map, right on the map where you think you are. As long as we're within 10 to 12 feet of where you are, you're golden. You know, it's basically still going to give us a flow of of the area. You'll
2: tell the
0: story. Right, right, right.
2: And I the uh, camp here that I hunt in, me and Jeff in uh, Tompkinsville, Kentucky, which was John Hunt Morgan's first battle. I GPS marked everything there, and once you get all of that done, I've probably pulled six hundred relics off of that camp. But once you get yeah. that, once you get that done. Then you're able to go back and and see a story there. You're able. You're right. actually able to see the battle line yep. between Confederate and, and right. Union. Plus, you're, right, you're saving that for posterity. You know, I mean, uh, hundreds of right. years from now, people Absolutely. will be able to take my data and uh, yeah, you know, they know exactly where everything was and and what it was because uh, I put them all in. Uh, in Google Earth and then I, I do a spreadsheet on it what I found and you know it's got the GPS coordinates mm-hmm. and uh, it's a lot of work but I think it's well worth it. It is absolutely yeah
0: it's a lot of work but it makes you feel so good to do it I'm still putting the results of the 2017 dig together we had nine sections and I have a large map and I think I only have up to maybe section five done I mean there are a lot of entries I have to go in and see uh what what particular item was found? Where it was pinned at, um, and who found it? Add a photo and record what it was. Now, it, I'm just in five. I I still want to get this done before I start planning the next dig, but it's such a lot of work. It really is.
2: I know Ooh. it is. And if I Definitely. didn't if I didn't do mine almost on a daily basis, at the end of the hunt, just go back in and log all that stuff in. I can only imagine how many hours that I've got into just one sat, you know, which is probably what would you say, Jeff, less than ten acres? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. wow. I mean just...
0: three hundred plus the town.
2: <laughs> yeah. We
0: got the town there too, we were detecting. Yeah. <laughs>
3: You've guys got another question here, uh, from Desk Digger. Uh where would you uh see, let me see. Where would Sam and Evan love to detect that is on their bucket list. Oh.
0: Goodness. Mm. I actually have an area around Gettysburg. There's uh, a friend of mine's sister owns, I think, a couple hundred acres, a couple hundred acres, and it's it's absolutely the battlefield. It's her property. And that's my bucket list, and that's where we're going to go one day.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to, to, to go. Okay. I'd have to see the White House lawn. I think that'd be a really awesome
2: hunt. <laughs> there you go.
0: I think you'd be Evan, I'm, the I've never you met you, that.
3: but I like you.
2: <laughs> He's got all the right answers, doesn't he? Well, I tell you yes, what, he sure does. I tell you what, guys, y'all are doing y'all are doing a great work, and uh, you know, Thank just you. no doubt about it. Everything that you're, you're doing it right because people, like you said, are getting in contact with you and. And, uh, you know, asking for you to come there instead of you trying to get permission. So that's a a testament to the way that you're running CWPPO. And uh, like I said, uh, Jeff and I are really looking forward to meeting both of you face-to-face, looking forward to uh, helping you with this project in the future. And uh, we just wish you all the best of luck. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll be glad to get you
0: guys up here. Yeah, all the best diggers. We'll have them here. Uh, Just watch for updates on uh, cwppo.org. You can check out the website, too, at uh, samwatersbio.jimdo.com, and then you can follow CWPPO on Facebook and Backyard Diggers.
2: Okay. That's all the information there, and uh, you guys have been great guests. Uh, Any parting words there, Jeff?
3: Uh, no, just you've been a real great guest and uh I hope to meet you face to face one day and uh I can't wait. So but um, well, thank you again guys.
2: Yeah, well,
0: thank you. Thanks for uh, having us.
2: You both were great and uh, we we look forward to look forward to seeing uh Evan get his uh, Gold going and uh and Sam put up <laughs> yeah. more of those uh more of those Knox videos. Uh, I'm trying to make that decision, yeah. and and I'm kind of kind of going to base it on uh, you know some of your videos that you're putting them up. So uh, just keep uh, keep swinging that thing and keep uh, putting up the video so that we can stay abreast of what you're doing. And oh, uh, I will. <laughs> okay, y'all have a good night, and we're gonna close Get the you show. Guys. We're gonna close the show out. Uh, before we do, if you like metal detecting podcast, want to remind you that you can. Uh, listen to Beyond Sight and Sound uh, on Spreaker, American Digger Relic Roundup on Spreaker, and the History Seekers, they're on on Tuesday night, and All Metal Mode and Hardcore Metal Detecting, and of course, Relics Radio here every Thursday night at 6 o'clock Central Time at 7 o'clock Eastern Time, and we certainly do appreciate all you guys in the chat tonight. And uh, appreciate all of our international listeners that uh, listen on the uh, archives. So, until next week, we bid you adieu from Reddix Radio. <laughs> Thank you for joining us tonight on Relics Radio. We certainly appreciate it. Be sure and join us live each Thursday night at 6 p.m. Central Time, that's 7 o'clock Eastern Time, here on Spreaker. Or you can catch the archive show at Relics Radio on Spreaker, iTunes, or iHeartRadio. Please take a minute and hit the like button, and be sure and follow us so that you'll get notifications ...of all of our upcoming broadcasts. You can also find us on YouTube at Diggin' with Seven or Tennessee Jail. Or you can check out our Facebook page, Relics Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with us, then send an email to digginwith7 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We hope that you'll join us next Thursday night. And until then, get out there and dig some history.